Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden, where things right now are pretty intense around the world with the coronavirus. It's actually pretty relaxed here where I'm at. I'm in, a, I'm in an area with very few people. Things have not changed almost at all. Uh, all of the restaurants are open, the shop is open, the churches are open. Uh, my wife and I went to Palm Sunday at church just yesterday. Um, it feels like we, you know, the, the hospitals here in this area of Sweden prepared for something big. You could tell about a month ago, um, we have a little small clinic in a village about 30 minutes from us. And that small clinic put out two tents outside ready to receive large numbers of people, I assume, and use the tents for that. But because they really didn't have any customers, they ended up shutting those tents down putting a fence around them so nobody can use them. And you just, now you just go into the clinic. Uh, it felt, it's feeling a, a bit weird, you know, going to, not only am I going to church service, but we're having communion and it's, it's the Lutheran, it's the official Swedish church's Svenska Kyrkan. It's the state church. Uh, so when you go in uh, and you do communion, they do it kind of like the Catholic style, right? Where the priest gives you the bread and you drink, everybody drinks from the same cup. They're still doing that. I, we just had a communion service two weeks ago, and I was like, no way are they going to do communion. Because the rest of the world's not even having church right now. Right now, pastors are being arrested for having church in the U.S. But here in Sweden, it seems like things are pretty normal. And when I go into town and people are keeping a, you know, a distance from me, I don't know if they're keeping social distance per se, or if they're just being normal Swedes. Uh, Swede, in this area, people don't really, there, there's, a, there's a common cultural trend that's quite funny. Anybody that's from Sweden that's listening to this will know what I'm talking about. If you live in an apartment building and you hear your neighbor open their door and go out to the elevator, it's very common for a Swedish person to actually stand by their door closed until they hear that the hallway is clear to keep from, you know, coming in contact with their neighbor and having to say hello. There's almost like this, this shyness. There's this, you know, desire to kind of be a bit by yourself. I'm, we're in a remote area. It's not a city and people are quite comfortable not knowing, you know, their neighbors that well. I mean, we know our neighbors. We're happy. We, we get along with our neighbors, but it's not like we, you know, congregate. Uh, there, you have a natural social distancing Anyway, but this is a special podcast about China and an update on the coronavirus that I believe is really important because I'm going to be sharing things about the coronavirus that even though you may think that you've heard everything, I mean, it's on the news, 24-hour coverage. I think I'm going to be sharing some stuff in this podcast because I don't have a time restriction, right? I'm not sharing things in a news teleconference that has to be, you know, bunched up in a five-second soundbite. 
I'm going to try to lay out the numbers here. And one of the things that I'm going to be talking about, three things that I'm going to be talking about, three things that are going to come out of this podcast is what is the timeline? Where did this all start? Where, where is the coronavirus from? Where did it come from? And how many people have died in China? That's probably the top question. You know, all of this has to do with China. This is my backyard. So when it comes to a timeline, the timeline, the genesis of that timeline is in my backyard, China. When it comes to where did it come from? Hello, I'm in China. And how many people have died in China? That's probably the number one question that I'm getting from all around the world. Many friends are writing to me and saying, okay, what do you think? How many people have died in China? So first, let me start with the timeline, okay? Now you might, and I, I said that China is, you know, my backyard, but in my opinion, when you're looking at the timeline, when you, where did this start? When did this start? How did this start? We have to start at the beginning and the beginning is not in China. The beginning of this virus and the outbreak, I believe started in Thailand. Thailand is ground zero. I am not saying that the virus started in China. I'm saying that the virus reporting started in China. I shared about this on a podcast that I did, a, a video, a YouTube video that I did at the beginning of February. I actually did it at the end of January, but we posted it on at the end of February. We tried to do it live. For those of us that followed us live, we screwed it up. We tried to do it live, but we found, we, there was, oh, no matter where we are in the world, we're either dropping internet or not having the proper account settings or something. Something always goes wrong when we try to do YouTube Live, Facebook Live, or whatever. We just did a Facebook Live a couple days ago, myself and Uncle Tong. Yeah, 40 minutes into the video, we dropped internet connection. We're in Northern Sweden with a great internet up until a certain part time of the day when the bandwidth gets clogged with, you know, people watching Real Housewives of Orange County or, or something like that. I mean, of all the times to drop internet, it was right then in the middle of me and Uncle Tong doing a Facebook Live. It's a story of our lives. But I believe, as I said in the video that I did, in an update that I did two months ago, all of the information that I gave in that video is still pretty accurate today. I tried to give you an honest report and I believe that right now I'm going to give you another honest report. These are going to be things that I don't believe you'll find anywhere else compiled into one podcast and I'm going to try to do it in a way that is easy to understand. Not for you, for me. If I can understand it, anybody can understand it. And if I can understand it, I can explain it. And if my explanation is confusing, it's because I don't understand it. Okay? So I often find that to be the case. Whenever you hear somebody explaining something that sounds confusing, it's usually because they're trying to explain something that they don't understand. And you don't understand them because they don't understand themselves. So I'm gonna to try to speak with as much clarity as possible to lay out first the timeline of everything that has to do with this virus. Where it started, how it started, how it grew, why you are on lockdown today. Why are you in your house and not able to get out? I'm going to tell you where it started. You've probably already heard it, but not the way I'm going to tell it. 
Then I'm going to tell you, where did it come from? You've heard so many theories. Oh, it came from bat soup. came from a wet market in Wuhan. It came from the U.S. military planting it in China to kill off people. It came from Bill Gates because he's wanting to downsize the world population. There are all these different theories about where it came from. I'm going to tell you the most probable location. I think I'm right. I think I'm pretty right. I think I'm darn right. I'll tell you why. And I'm going to try to give you a number of how many people in China have died. An honest number. An honest number that is based off of several different data points. Okay, so timeline. Thailand is ground zero for what we know today for the timeline of this virus, not China. Why? Because Thailand is honest. And they were the first ones to discover somebody from Wuhan that came into their country with the virus and report it to the world. If it wasn't for Thailand, the virus would have been unknown for a longer period of time. Thailand made China and the WHO honest. The WHO ticks me off so much right now. I'm going to be telling you why. There are some things before I was giving them a chance. I was, I was making excuses for the WHO, but I'm telling you they are dirty to the core. Okay, so January 13, this is important. If, so if you're driving, just kind of put this in your mind, January 13. If you're writing it down, leave some room because I'm going to be going back to November and December. But January 13 is when Thailand reported their very first confirmed case of a 61-year-old woman who was confirmed to have the coronavirus. Now the question is, how did they find this woman or how did, she, how did they know to test her for the coronavirus? This is the day, January 13, that we reported on that changed the world. January 13 changed the world as you and I know it today. Now let me go back. Remember when I said leave a little bit of room? Because we're going to be going back. We're going to be going back to January 5th. January 5th is a very important timeline when talking about Thailand because in January 5th, there was a 60-year-old woman from Wuhan that had come into Thailand. Well, first, <clears throat> let me say, the, January 5th, there was a woman, 61 years old, from Wuhan. She got sick, had a fever, developed chills, had a sore throat, and a headache, but on January 8th, three days later, she had a tour she had already paid for to Thailand. She was going with a group of friends. She had arranged it through a travel agency. She really wanted to go, even though she was sick for three days before with heavy fever, chills, sore throat, headache, all of the symptoms that you have with the coronavirus. She decided, I've already paid. I'm going. Nobody's going to stop me. I'm going on this sucker. She gets on a plane. She flies into Bangkok, and on January 8th, she arrives at the, at the Bangkok International Airport with a group of 16 of her friends, 16 people that are with this tour group. Her fever was detected on the same day by thermal surveillance at the Bangkok airport. And because she was identified, she was put into the hospital. At the airport, the Thai officials were on alert, and they caught her. Why? Because they were checking everybody's temperature that came off of a plane into Thailand from Wuhan. 
they had been told already that there were there was an outbreak taking place in Wuhan around January 2nd, January 3rd. But with this information, they began to check anybody coming in from Wuhan with a fever. She showed up. Have you ever, if you, if you ever go to Hong Kong airport, Bangkok international airport, what they do is they have two ways of scanning your temperature. One is this aerial photo. So that's why they make sure you keep your hat off when you're walking through the Hong Kong airport or the Bangkok international airport. It, what it is, is this like a uh, dark green, almost blackish screen. And when you walk past it, your body creates a white silhouette of your body and different parts of your body show thermal heating. And they have it set to where if your body is at a certain temperature, instead of a white or a light green, what it will do is it will highlight red or orange or yellow. So it, it indicates your temperature in a big group so that a big group can actually be scanned walking through the airport at the same time. Anybody with a fever can easily be detected. And then in Hong Kong, as well as in Bangkok, they have separate individuals with the thermometers and they're able to take your temperature individually with the these uh, little thermometers that they just put a laser up to your forehead and are able to take your temperature within a second. These are the two ways. They used both of these ways at the Bangkok International Airport. At, on this, on, at this time, it was reported on January 14th that the WHO acknowledged that somebody from Wuhan, as it was reported by Thailand, Thailand had to report this. Thailand had to report this because the WHO, who knew about this, that they knew about this disease, but they weren't telling everybody. They told different countries in the region, which was good. Everybody's happy about that. They told Thailand. Thailand found out about it. Thailand began to scan against the WHO's advice. Now, let me, let me read something to you from January 14th. This is a couple weeks after we already know about the virus that is taking place inside of China. WHO writes this. This is directly from their website. I'm going to read it verbatim. I'm not going to give you an analysis on this. I'm going to read it verbatim so you can hear exactly what was written on the WHO website. Now get this. Health authorities should work with travel, transport, and tourism sectors to provide travelers with information to reduce the general risk of acute respiratory infections via travel health clinics, travel agencies, conveyance operators, and at points of entry. Who has provided who WHO? has provided interim guidance for novel coronaviruses. WHO advises against, advises against the application of any travel or trade restrictions on China based on the information currently available on this event. This is at the bottom of almost every single website that the WHO puts up about this virus. WHO advises against the application of any travel or trade restrictions on China based on the travel information currently available on this event. Okay, at this point, there were 16 people who traveled to, from China, from Wuhan to Thailand. 16 people. They're in a group. They're all now potentially infected with the same virus because they've all potentially had contact breathing the same air as this 61-year-old woman. 
There's also the challenge that you have with everybody that they've come in contact with. The 182 people that were on her flight from Wuhan are now potentially infected with this virus. So now you have 182 people. That's 198 now that we're up to. And she's continuing to travel. She arrives in Thailand. She's now in line with a bunch of people, immigration. You ever been to immigration at the Bangkok International Travel? Those lines wrap around and around and around. And now all of them potentially have this virus, have come in contact with this virus. Now, the 16 people that were in her group were not detained or stopped. She was because she showed a fever, but they didn't know why she showed a fever. They didn't know anything about the virus. They just knew that there was some sort of respiratory disease taking place in China, but China was being tight-lipped and was not giving out information, but they weren't going to take any risk. Good on you, Bangkok. Good on you, Thai medical people that do things at airport. Good on you. You did what was right. You took the precautions necessary. You scanned specifically people come from Wuhan. But what happened was she ended up being diagnosed with the coronavirus. That means that the other travelers that were with her were all running around in Bangkok. And every meal that they ate, every movie that they went to, every taxi that they got in, every flight that they took, every train that they got on, every subway station that they walked through, potentially put people in danger for getting the, the virus. January 12th, before Bangkok made their announcement, WHO was still reporting that there were no cases. Quote, currently no case with infection of this uh, coronavirus has been reported elsewhere other than Wuhan. They knew that there was somebody potentially with the virus and it was going to be reported the next day. Because it took time for Bangkok even to know how to test for this virus. How do you test for a virus that you don't even that, that hasn't even been exposed yet? They had to look for something that was similar to SARS, and they found it. WHO ended every update in January with this, which I've already read. I'm going to read it again. WHO advises against the application of any travel or trade restrictions on China based on the information currently available on this event. So up until January 14th, WHO is still telling people it you should not restrict any travel or trade with China based on this information. Okay, it's the WHO. People are expecting you to know your stuff. People are expecting that you're going to give them information based on the, the interest of international health. And you're going to learn very quickly that is not what WHO did. The next day, January 15th, Japan reported their very first case. So January 14th, uh, we come out with the WHO advisory. And then we also have the report of the Thai in the person from Wuhan that is in Thailand that is infected. And now on the very next day, January 15, Japan reported their first case, which is a Japanese businessman who had been to Wuhan on business. And he'd come back and he showed the signs of a respiratory disease like SARS. They tested him and he tested positive. By January 28th, two weeks later, there were 14 cases in two weeks, basically one new case per day internationally. And they were all from Wuhan, except for one person who came from Chongqing. 
which is west of uh, Wuhan. January 28th, after 14 cases in two weeks are reported in other countries, WHO website still says this. This is two weeks later. This is when B2J is giving people updates. And our updates, I believe, are more reliable than what you're hearing from the, the WHO. Even though we incorporated information from the WHO because that's the responsible thing to do, it turns out the WHO's level of responsibility is a very, very low bar. Coronaviruses, this is quoting, quoting. I'm not paraphrasing this. I didn't throw in extra stuff. I'm quoting. Coronaviruses are common. Many cause less severe illnesses, such as the common cold. Other are known to cause more severe illnesses, SARS, the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, MERS. At present, WHO does not recommend any specific health measures for travelers in relation to this event. WHO advises against the application of any travel or trade restrictions on China based on the information available. If travelers develop respiratory illnesses before, during, or after travel, they should seek medical attention and share travel information with their healthcare provider. Malarkey. Absolute bull. This was a sorry excuse for health recommendations. This was putting people's life at risk. Now, I'm not saying that they're God, right? I'm not saying that they should know everything. But what I am saying, it is clear that they knew more than what they were sharing with the public and they risked the public health and put the entire world in danger in the situation that we're in right now because they tried to appease China. I'm gonna tell you why in a, in a minute. But why did I say that January 13th changed the world? It's kind of how I started off with this whole timeline, right? Why did January 13 change the world? Because that is the day the world was told about the disease by the medical field, not by the WHO. Thailand came out, blew the lid off this baby, and the WHO's hand was forced to be able to admit it openly what was going on inside of China. China was hiding it, but Thailand let the cat out of the bag. They were prepared to open up a whole can of worms to make sure that the world wasn't put at risk any more than it needed to because they're being open, transparent, and honest. The exact opposite of what the CPP was doing, the exact opposite of what the WHO was doing. Why did they test the Chinese lady on January 5th? Why were the, why were the Thai testing when she arrived at the airport? Because the BBC ran an article on January 3rd about what was happening in Wuhan. They caught word about the doctors that in December, uh, China arrested eight doctors for warning their friends about a new virus outbreak because hospitals were seeking a, seeing a massive uptick in pneumonia patients. But the patients that had pneumonia were not responding to a typical medication that would be used for pneumonia patients. Now that happens sometimes, right? My son, uh, when we were living in Kunming, he developed, uh, he was like a, a year old, less than a year old. He had his one year birthday in Kunming. So he was less than a year old uh, when he developed pneumonia. And that's a very dangerous time for anybody that knows anything about pneumonia. It's a very dangerous time for infants and elderly to develop pneumonia. My grandfather died of pneumonia. My son almost lost his life, my youngest. He had pneumonia twice in the same year while living in, in Kunming. 
And there was nothing that the doctors could give to him. We had to fly him to uh, Hong Kong. We were talking to a local doctor, an American doctor, missionary doctor in Kunming, and asked him, you know, what can we do? And he said, to be honest, I only have two options for your son. One, I can give him good medicine that I have from America that's outdated and may not work. Or I can give him Chinese medication, which could be diluted and may not work. My advice is if you have the means to get him to Hong Kong, do it right away because his life is in danger. Praise God we were able to get him out of China into Hong Kong into proper care. During that time, they tried several different antibiotics and nothing would bite. His fever would not go away. We, we thought we were going to lose our son. So I know that there are times where certain medication does not work on pneumonia patients, but when you have it happen over and over and over again on several patients, you start realizing this is a strand of something that we have not dealt with before. And that's what happened in China. And the doctors and the medical community and the hospitals in Wuhan started to see a serious uptick on pneumonia-like patients that were having respiratory infections that were similar to SARS, which rang bells for many. And they began to tell, give warnings to their friends. And then they started to share it on social media. When the when reporters began to hear about this mysterious disease in Wuhan, they asked, but they were told that there was no human-to-human -human transmission, it was not avian flu, and the government specifically would not mention SARS. At this time, they were reporting only 44 cases the beginning of January. And please know that the doctors... Would any doctor that in Wuhan that would have come out and said anything about these 44 cases would have been arrested. They would have been arrested. They would have been thrown in jail. But these doctors or the, the, there were eight that were arrested at the end of December. Now, I have reported earlier um, when I did my video that they were arrested on January 3rd. That was not correct. I apologize for that. Uh, let me go back and kind of correct that. That came from a French news outlet and they were reporting on the day that these guys were convicted and reported on, which was January 3rd. But they were arrested, tortured. Tortured is a very loose term. I'm going to, I'm going to retract the word tortured. It depends on who you are before I use torture. Um, they, they, they were not having their, their fingernails pulled out but with pliers. They were not having uh, people come and saw off their toes. Um, they were being threatened. Their families are being threatened. They were being kept from food, sleep, deprived of luxuries of life, so deprived of freedom, being detained, being threatened, having mind games. So in that way, they were being tortured mentally, mental anguish, emotional anguish, and then the anguish of having family and loved ones threatened if they would say anything. But the eight people that came out and said they were actually arrested at the end of December. We don't know exactly when, but we do know when they were charged, which was January 3rd. So, but that's why I said January 3rd. That was not completely correct. I did not have all the information when I recorded it, but it is the day that they were charged, January 3rd. But these eight doctors were the canary in the coal mine. They wrote about this disease and told the world about this disease before they were supposed to. And you know who sent the police to arrest them? 
the CCP, the China Communist Party. You know who benefited from the confession that these doctors had to sign? These doctors had, were forced to sign confessions to say that they were wrong, what they did was unethical, and what they did was a lie. They were forced to sign confessions to say that everything that they said was a lie so that the Communist Party of China can say that, look, we were right and they were wrong. And they were still punished. If you had ever needed medical professionals, it's now during this time. And you're screwing around by arresting them, torturing them, and making them sign confessions? Pfft. So low. But the CCP benefited from this. Now, riots began to take place because of the cover-up just about a week ago. And I'm talking riots that I've never seen before in my life in China. I'm saying they, they had riots where people came out to the streets flipping police cars. Thousands of people ticked, mad. Riot police could not control them. I've never, let me put it this way, since 1989, which I was not in China for, I have never, ever seen riots in China so violent that people are attacking riot police, grabbing police cars, and flipping them upside down. It was getting radical in China. I saw that last week in Wuhan. The people are angry at the CCP's cover-up of this virus. So what does the CCP do? They punish the police. They punish the local government officials that carried out what they wanted. And now they're, they are making others make an apology. So you made people do things for your benefit and they got, they are now paying the price for doing your bidding. It's China under the communist party. When we look at the end of the month, December 30th, here we see a, a doctor who comes out and he writes this. A new coronavirus, this is a direct quote from him. A new coronavirus infected has, in, infection has been confirmed and its type is being identified. Inform all family and relatives to be on guard. This is from a guy, a doctor, the main doctor that we know of is in his 30s. Um, he ended up dying from the virus because he caught the virus. Uh, Li Wenliang typed this message into a chat group with his former medical school classmates to get the word out there. He was a doctor in Wuhan and he was seeing something very strange and he wanted to let people know. His crime was worse than that in the eyes of the CCP because when journalists heard about his message to his medical colleagues, they began to write questions to him online and he answered them to the best of his knowledge. This was a serious leak that the CCP needed to stop ASAP and they did it. On December 30th, 2019, the very same day, Shi Zheng Li, who was working at a lab, which I'm going to be getting into because this is so important when it comes to Wuhan, December 30th, Shi Zheng Li, which is known as the Bat Lady. I'm going to just call her the Bat Lady because that's pretty easy for people that speak English to remember, right? Bat Lady. So Bat Lady was in Shanghai and she's best known as Bat Lady because she's been working in a research lab studying uh, the coronavirus as it relates to bats in Wuhan. And she's been studying bats in Wuhan, wait for it, that can carry SARS and could infect humans. 
December 30th, she's in Shanghai, she's in a conference, and her boss calls her on the phone. He's the institute's director. The Wuhan Center for Disease Control and Prevention had detected a novel coronavirus in two hospital patients with atypical pneumonia. And it wanted the Bat Lady's laboratory to investigate and report from her lab about this virus. Because if the finding was confirmed, this new pathogen could pose a serious public health threat. Because it belonged to the same family as the bat-borne disease as the one she had been studying and was closely related to the acute respiratory syndrome of SARS. Over the phone, it was said that those that were by the bat lady at the conference in Shanghai could hear her boss say, drop whatever you're doing and come back now. December 31st, the very next day, Wuhan Evening News reported this. I'm going to quote it directly as I can from translation. It's obviously, this was in Chinese. This is a direct quote in an English translation. The market will be closed tomorrow for environmental and sanitation control according to public health regulations on pneumonia epidemic controls. The notice asked vendors to cooperate, saying another notice would indicate when the market will reopen. So December 31st, Wuhan closed their wet market. The reason why is because Chinese internet speculations on Tuesday, the day before, had suggested a return of SARS, but the People's Daily, which is the newspaper inside of China, the People's Daily cited doctors saying that it was unlikely. Oh, I bet they did cite doctors that said it was unlikely. Doctors that did not want to be thrown in prison like their colleagues. They didn't want to have their families threatened like their colleagues. The CCP operates off fear, so doctors aren't just going to come out and start telling the newspaper what's really going on. So they said, if it was SARS, China possesses a mature prevention, a treatment system, and the people were urged not to panic. Viral pneumonia is most common in winter and spring, according to the reports. And according to the reports, this is verbatim. I'm going to read now verbatim from the reports. People should allow outside air to circulate indoors, avoid crowded public places, wear masks, and visit a doctor if symptoms arise. The disease was not spread by human-to-human contact and no medical personnel have been infected, Shanghai-based news, por- news portal thepaper.cn reported. So the Shanghai-based paper known as the news portal, or the, the paper, sorry, the Shanghai-based news organization known as thepaper.cn reported that according to the government and according to doctors, that will only say what the government wants them to say. The disease does not spread by human to human contact and no medical personnel have been affected. December 31st. If you're writing this down, we're continuing on the timeline here. Started off January 13, went back to early December. Now we're going up to the end of the month, December 31st. Officials from the National Health Commission arrived in Wuhan. They were sent by Beijing. What the heck is going on? Get over there. Get your hands around this. Find out what's going on. Get in front of this before people start getting the news out. 
December 31st, on the very same day that the officials from the National Health Commission arrived, police guards were stationed outside of the Wuhan market to make sure that no Snoopy reporters or nosy busybodies go there taking pictures and get information independently. Nobody's to be interviewed. Nobody's to be talking. Nobody's to be reporting. Police guards were stationed outside to make sure that that did not happen. Then very next day on January 1st, if you're following along on this same timeline, when the most people were having parties and hangovers because it's January 1st, it's a New Year's, Li Wenliang, the doctor, and seven others were being threatened if they did not sign confessions. So they're inside a police gulag, forced to sign confessions about everything that they said was a lie. The government was right and they were being irresponsible with people's lives. Meanwhile, guards are being set up at the wet market while any evidence of uh, human-to-human transmission is being cleaned up. The Wuhan mayor later, later stepped down and admitted to mishandling the information. But what information? The mayor can't speak or report jack squat unless it's approved by the central government. He doesn't have the freedom to give out information. He has no information that he withheld that he has to take guilt over and step down. He can only report what the government allows him to report, and he must report what the government tells him to report. End of discussion. He's not out there freely giving reports. He's falling on his sword to protect a bigger body, the CCP. January 2nd, the Outbreak Observatory in the U.S. that tracks viruses reported that an outbreak had been reported on December 30th. By who? The doctor? Not China. But the page that they refer to as their source, the the, the Outbreak Observatory, I went there. uh, I clicked on the link of their source and it had been taken down. So the site that the the Outbreak Observatory uses to track viruses, the information that they gave as their source on January 2nd, it's still there. I went there. I clicked on their source. That page no longer exists. CNA News is the very first news outlet that I can find that actually reported about this situation. They are based in Singapore and thank God for Singapore because like Thailand, they were transparent and they got the news out there right away. That news that they reported about on January 2nd is still up. You can actually find it online. This was the very first video news report that I could find in a video form. There might be earlier ones. There might be others about the same time, but I could not find any other international news source reporting in video format earlier than January 2nd. And this is what was said. Chinese officials have arrested several people for spreading fake news online about the viral spread of pneumonia in the city of Wuhan in Hubei province. Authorities say it is untrue and no person-to-person transmission has been found so far. The statement comes after 27 cases of viral pneumonia were reported earlier this week. All the cases were found to be related to a seafood market, and it led to rumors spreading on social media about an outbreak of SARS. That's a highly contagious respiratory disease. Police have warned that fabricating rumors and spreading them are against the law and will not be tolerated. 
will not be tolerated. As in, if you spread any information about this disease, you will be fined. And China actually put it in writing to let anybody know you share this information on social media or even in a private message, you will be punished. South China Morning Post, the main newspaper for Hong Kong, also wrote on the very same day, January 2nd, that they were interviewing family members of patients that were in Wuhan Hospital. Now, they had brought family members to the Wuhan hospitals uh, to be treated for pneumonia-like symptoms, but then they were separated from their family members, not allowed to call them, not allowed to talk to them, not allowed to see them. When they talk to their family doctors, when they talk to the medical professionals at the hospital, what is the status of their loved ones? They weren't given any information. Family members were kept in the dark and they were not allowed to know anything about what was going on. Anyone who said anything was arrested, even medical professionals. And that's why these eight medical professionals that we talked about earlier and at the end of January for B2J were arrested. They had posted on Weibo, which is a social media site for China, and it was important because these guys were circumventing the government's information methods, and they couldn't allow that. They couldn't allow people just to share information freely. It has to go through the proper channels. Otherwise, the truth might get out. And China did not want that. So January 1st, if we're still following the same timeline, January 21st, there were, or, I'm sorry, January 1st, there was only 27 cases that were known at this time. And the way that they were known is because this uh, severe respiratory system or the severe respiratory disease in the upper part of your body, like pneumonia, it, those that were showing those signs were being diagnosed as possible victims of SARS. But nobody really knew if it was SARS or not because they didn't have all of the exact fingerprints of SARS. So they were just calling it some sort of enhanced pneumonia as they did on the Singaporean um, news site that we just played a minute ago. That was January 1st, 27 cases. January 7th, a few days later, the Wuhan lab confirmed the new virus was the one that they had been researching that comes from bats. That's directly from the nationalreview.com. Remember that day because I'm going to come back to that when talking about the Wuhan lab. Now, January 7th, on the timeline, we're now starting to get information to the rest of the world about what's going on in China, but nobody really knows. There's a lot of hypotheticals, a lot of guessing, a lot of wondering, a lot of rumors, because China is locking everything down when it comes to information. Nationalreview.com wrote this. I'm going to read this in its direct quote, so I'm not going to improvise at all. I'm going to read it directly what it says in the article. It says, this is a conclusion based on the results from uh, chain reaction analysis, full genome sequencing, antibody tests of blood samples, and the virus's ability to infect human lung cells in a Petri dish. That's how they were able to discover that this is the same disease that they've been researching in the Wuhan lab. The sequence of this virus, now called the COVID-19, was 96% identical to that of a coronavirus the researchers had been working with in a Wuhan lab on disease. 
and viruses. Two days later, January 9th, the first person dies of the virus in Wuhan, which is 61 years old. Again, someone dies in China, it's still not possible for anybody in the national media in China to announce anything. So the only information people are getting right now is if they have access to outside China news or if people are sharing anything personally through social media or messaging systems. The first person died January 9th, still no report. January 15, six days later, this is the day after Thailand announced Japan makes their first announcement that like Thailand, they've discovered a new case. January 15, the same day, see what's happening? The very same day, the U.S. State Department advises against all travel to Wuhan. They put it in the same category as Iraq and Afghanistan. Do not travel there. The WHO came out on the same day and issued a warning saying that that was not necessary. The United States should not have issued that travel restriction. Singapore, Thailand, Taiwan, Japan, none of them took the advice of the WHO. Their own health departments began to advise the state departments and they all started to close their border and restrict travel to Chinese travelers to their country. Hong Kong wanted to do the same thing, but they couldn't because Hong Kong is owned by China. We were in Hong Kong going to the hospital actually during this time. And during this time, I can remember when we went into the hospital, we were actually stopped outside of the hospital, had our temperatures checked, had to answer some questions, had to put on a face mask. We went in one area, came out another area, came out a back area. Hong Kong was already preparing their hospitals for this outbreak, even though the WHO had not given out any warning and actually advised against any travel restrictions. Now keep in mind, during this time, Singapore, Thailand, Taiwan, Japan, the US are all issuing travel warnings and taking steps to restrict travel from China to their nations. China still had not admitted that there was any problem. January 20th, following along on that timeline, 11 days after the first person died, and we're seeing this double every couple days, January 20th is the first news report that we see in China about the virus at all. So the, the news barely mentions it, but they start to make mention of the coronavirus, which was illegal up until January 20th. When I say illegal, it means that if you put it on the news, you will go to jail. You will suffer the consequences. January 23rd, Wuhan takes the very first steps to stop the spread of the disease by shutting down public transportation. By January 25th, <clears throat> China said they had 10,000 cases of the coronavirus. 10,000! They just stopped the travel, but they already had 10,000 known cases. At that time, January 25th, the official peer review study said that at least seven and a half times more people were affected. That was a very conservative number at that time. January 5th, or January 25th, 75,000 cases, what peer-reviewed studies had said was probably the most likely number of infected individuals 
in Wuhan. So from January 1st to January 27th, the cases in one country, when we got to February 1st, one month later, we had 23 countries and 360 deaths from the coronavirus. On January 30th, Trump blocked all, President Trump of the United States blocked all Chinese from traveling to the United States and he blocked foreigners who had been to China in the last two weeks. This affected us directly because we had Chinese back to Jerusalem house church members with us in the United States that we had to send back home early because we didn't want them to get caught in the United States away from their families in China. So we sent them back to China and canceled the rest of their trips. It was only one of 13 countries, the U.S. was only one of 13 countries to have done anything by February 3rd. Trump issued this order on January 30th. The very next day, January 31st, WHO comes out and says this. They say, and this is where I start to lose my patience with the WHO, because they come out the very next day and they say, Although travel restrictions may intuitively seem like the right thing to do, I'm quoting directly from, from their report. There's a guy by the name of Tariq. He is a WHO spokesperson. This is his direct quote. Although travel restrictions may intuitively seem like the right thing to do, this is not something that the WHO usually recommends. This is because of the social disruption they cause and the intensive use of resources required. I'm going to go point by point what he says. This is the reason why he says you should not put travel restrictions on China. First, there's only the financial toll on a country that is dealing with this outbreak, but this can discourage transparency both on this outbreak and in the future. Second, travel and trade restrictions can lead to dire economic consequences for countries involved, creating a disincentive for them to quickly disclose potential outbreaks to the WHO or to the WHO or other nations. Third, they can hinder the sharing of information, making it harder to track cases and their contacts and disrupt the medical supply chain, potentially fueling the shortages of drugs and medical supplies in the areas hit hardest by the outbreak. So this spokesperson is saying, these are the reasons you should not restrict travel for the Chinese. They should be able to travel wherever they want. Next, they also, the travel restrictions also send a punitive message, which could contribute to discrimination and stigmatization against Chinese nationals. Next, any effort and money spent crafting and enforcing travel and trade restrictions also take away the already stretched resources from public health measures that have been proven to be far more effective. Next, enacting a ban would go directly against the recommendation of the WHO, which has said countries must inform the organization of any travel restrictions they put in place. Thank you. The WHO is basically saying if you want to restrict travel to your country, you need to get permission from us first. I'm so glad that places like Taiwan and Thailand and the United States enacted travel bans against the advice of the WHO. Next, he's still not done. This guy's bloviating. He's got so many reasons why you should not restrict travel for Chinese coming from Wuhan into your country. This is the beginning of February, end of, this is, uh, 
January 31st. So this is January 31st, the end of January, when he's saying this, the day after the United States implements a travel ban. Adopting these restrictions undermines the cooperative approach we need to respond to this kind of outbreak, specifically by undermining the authority of the WHO, which has recommended against these restrictions. Well, I'm so sorry, WHO, that we went against your authority, your medical professional authority that everybody's looking to, to keep them safe. And you're giving information that specifically puts them in danger. You're going against the best interests of their health for reasons I will share soon. So here we see the WHO on January 31st is making an announcement, basically saying that all these travel restrictions are bogus on January 31st, same day. The Chinese foreign ministry spokeswoman Hua Chunying came out and said this, and I quote, the World Health Organization urged countries to avoid travel restrictions. So she's pointing to who? The WHO. I quote, the World Health Organization urged countries to avoid travel restrictions, but very soon after that, the United States did the opposite. It's truly mean. That, that was her exact words. That's exactly what she said. The WHO can not be trusted. I said before that they would share fake information, right? Anybody that's been listening to this podcast or been listening to some of the information that I've been sharing on YouTube, one of the things that I've said that the words of the WHO that are coming out are not correct. But I gave them the benefit of the doubt. Why did I say they weren't correct? If anybody remembers, what they will remember is that I defended them and said that they don't have a choice. They don't want to be in the dark when it comes to this virus. So they have to play along with China's game. And so they have to say things that China likes, but at the same time, warn the rest of the world without saying things that China doesn't like. It turns out that I wasn't completely correct on that. They had deeper interests inside of China that kept them from sharing the truth with the rest of the world. And in fact, putting the health of the rest of the world at serious danger. The director, General Tedros Adhem Gabriasis. I cannot say that correct, so I'm going to just call him Tedros. General Tedros, who is the WHO Director General. He's from Ethiopia, and he's known for doing virus cover-ups in Ethiopia and had been supported financially by China doing projects in Ethiopia. They built a really tight relationship to make a long story short, President Xi with his influence at the United Nations put up General Tedros name for recommendation in May of 2017 to become the director general of the United Nations and China backed him so that he would sail to victory and have that position. And today he is singing their songs. Tedros has praised China's quote-unquote transparency and upheld the country as a model response. That's a quote. That their response is something we should all model after. Model what? What are we supposed to model? Even though the communist regime covered up and then concealed the severity of the outbreak, is that what we should model? 
Are you going to say that we should model them even though Chinese authorities forced scientists who discovered the virus in, to, in December to destroy the proof of the virus, according to UK newspapers? Are, are, in spite of the fact that the Chinese regime punished doctors who tried to warn the public of the outbreak in the early stages and suppress information about the virus online? That's the model response. The Chinese citizens who criticize the government, they have gone missing and everyone is threatened with a fine if they say anything that is against China's response. That's the model we should model after. So stupid. I, I don't even know where to start. Now, I'm going to share something that you probably have not heard. Something that I have direct information on. Something that I'm directly informed about. That you probably do not know about. This plays on how many deaths there are in China and the spread of the virus around the world. This is probably one of the most important elements in the spread of the disease around the world today. And most people have not even heard it. But I'm going to share with it you here on this podcast, if you made it this far, if you've made it this far, almost an hour, baby, we've just gotten started. I apologize that I've been a little bit long-winded, but if you made it this far, here is your reward. Here's your nugget. I believe it's a reward. If you're looking for information, this is your reward. Because of the delayed response of China, because the WHO refused to restrict travel on Chinese coming from Wuhan, or even advise it. Because there was lack of transparency by both China and the WHO, an estimated 7 million people, more than half the population of Wuhan, left Wuhan in January, spreading the virus all over China and all over the world. Bet you haven't heard that. If you've been watching any of our videos that we put up with Brother Yun, you would know something about that. Because Brother Yun alluded to it when he shared about his friends that we know of, that we've been working with, that were businessmen, Christians in Wuhan, that knew the city was about to go on lockdown, feared for their lives, didn't want to get sick, got on a plane, and flew out to another country that they thought would keep them safe. Brother Yun shared about this. He shared about his friends that flew to Italy. When they got to Italy, they found out that Italy also had the virus. They couldn't hide there. Some of them flew to France, Spain, Germany. Then they found out the virus was also there. They couldn't hide there. Some of them flew to South Korea. Then they found that there was an outbreak there. They couldn't hide there. Brother Yun's message was, you can't hide from this virus, but do not fear. He knows the person who has the cure, Jesus Christ. But what he was alluding to was people that we are contacted with, that we are in contact with, that left China, left Wuhan, and flew to other parts of the world carrying the infection with them, infecting others all along the way. Hundreds at the airport, on the airplane, in the lounge, in the restaurant, in the taxi, in the subway. Everywhere they went, they were coming in contact with people and spreading the virus. One study found that if interventions in China could have been conducted just one week, or two weeks, or three weeks earlier, cases 
could have been reduced by 66, 86, or 95% respectively, significantly limiting the geographical spread of this disease. Are you listening to this podcast right now from New York City and can't leave your home? Are you listening to this podcast in Florida and being threatened with jail time if you go to church or host a church at your facility? Are you listening to this podcast from England and see police marching outside of your window, making sure that anybody that leaves their home will be fined if they don't have a proper reason? Are you on complete lockdown right now in your country? You want to know the reason? Because this was China's Chernobyl. This was a secret that they tried to hide and it backfired and it blew up all over the world. One of the things that China tried to do right away, together with the WHO, is to make this about China being the victim. Make this a issue about xenophobia. Turn it into racism. I addressed this when we were doing our uh, YouTube that you can still find. You can still go on YouTube and you can find our coronavirus update. And I addressed xenophobia directly. But this is what the news was saying during that time. Here is a news clip that comes from February 2nd after countries, including the United States, issued a restriction on travel. Across the world has stopped or partially suspended operations to and from China. Something else appears to be spreading fast to communities, big and small, due to ignorance and misinformation. <laughs> ignorance and misinformation. If somebody says that you need to stop travel from China, it's because you're ignorant and misinformed. Andrew Chappelle has more. I bet he does. The coronavirus outbreak has led to complaints about a rise in anti-Chinese sentiment around the world. In France, for example, the hashtag I am not a virus is being used to share stories of bullying in schoolyards and city streets and of hostile treatment by the media. A regional newspaper has had to apologize for this headline that used the phrase yellow alerts while scenes like this one you're about to see here are widespread of people appearing to cover their face just because they're sitting next to someone who's Asian. I was in the metro going to work and I sat down on the seat. Then the person sitting next to me moved over by a few centimeters. If he could have moved a few meters, he would have, but at least it was just a few centimeters. He then covered his mouth with a scarf. I was shocked and speechless. I didn't know why and I didn't want to fan the flame, so I didn't say anything. But I really wanted to tell him that what he'd done wasn't okay. It's the first time that's happened to me. <laughs> He sat down by somebody he thought was from China, and so they covered their mouth, and he said, what you did was not okay. Now, were there people that were a bit racist during this time? Yeah, probably, but the people that I had warning me about the virus in China were Chinese. The people that were enforcing restrictions on travel from China were people from Taiwan, people from Singapore that are Chinese. Individuals that are ethnic Chinese, they are not against Chinese as an ethnicity because they're racist against Chinese. They knew that there was something in China that China was not being honest about and they were taking proper measures. 
Now in hindsight, we can see that this was all bogus and these reporters were carrying water for the Chinese propaganda machine. The WHO and the CCP were majorly, majorly responsible for this. One of the things that you hear, I got to play this one. I heard this one not too long ago uh, on a different radio program. I got to play it because this is the WHO um, as they are being interviewed by RTHK, which is a well-known news um, uh, broadcast in Hong Kong. And you have this Chinese interviewer for a WHO representative. And when she brings up Taiwan, (laughs) the guy pretends, the WHO representative pretends he doesn't hear the question. But then she says, I'll repeat the question. And he says, no, 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 we can go to the next question. Well, how do you know if we want to go to the next question? You said you didn't hear the first question. And so when she repeats it, he stops the interview. You got to hear this. Would the WHO consider Taiwan's membership? Long silence. Uncomfortable silence. Hello? We, 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 okay, I couldn't hear your question. Okay, yeah, let me let, let me let me repeat the question. No, so. that's okay. Let, let's move to another one then. <laughs> right, because because I'm I'm actually curious on talking about Taiwan as well on Taiwan's case. And at that time when she said, I'm interested in talking about Taiwan, he reaches over. You can actually see him lean over and and click to stop. There's nothing wrong with his connection. There's nothing wrong with the sound. It's coming through crystal clear. You can hear it. But she talked about Taiwan's response, which has been praised by the international community, as has South Korea, because of what they did as soon as they had information about what was going on in Wuhan. And because they were not getting support, now think about this, an entire nation not getting support from the WHO. So this reporter from Hong Kong asks a very viable question. Will you consider Taiwan's membership into the WHO? We're not talking about the United Nations. We're talking about the World Health Organization. Just to be able to give them the same resources that everybody else has during a time when there's a pandemic like right now. The WHO is carrying the water. Why? Because there is this carrying of the water that is directed by Director General Tedros. General Director Tedros, who was put in power by the Chinese, is doing exactly what the Chinese want. Scratch my back, I scratch yours. And it wasn't just the WHO. People were getting on this bandwagon. Uh, February 1st, because there's so much of a hatred for Donald Trump, listen, I didn't vote for the guy, but there's so much hatred that countries are actually doing things opposite of him just because they hate him so much. So when he issued a travel ban on uh, January 30th, February 1st, the mayor of Venice, I kid you not, you can find this, comes out with a Twitter video. You can still find this. Uh, A friend of mine actually shared it. Uh, David Rennerson's son shared it from my Facebook account and got his Facebook account shut down for 24 hours for sharing a video, not a news source, the direct video from the Venetian mayor. Well, what was the video from the Venetian mayor? The Venetian mayor is standing beside a Chinese tourist and says, I issue the day of February 1st to be hug and kiss a Chinese tourist day. (laughs) This is against all sensibility. 
February 2nd, the mayor of New York City. I'm just naming these places because these are the places that are known for the huge outbreaks, right? Italy, New York City. New York City, the mayor of New York City, same as Venice, uh, Mayor de Blasio, came out February 2nd. He said this, New Yorkers, I'm quoting, direct quote, New Yorkers should go about our lives, continue doing what we normally do. Uh, Clinton, de, ba- de Blasio, and Biden all claimed and cried racism when Trump issued the ban for travel of those coming from China. It wasn't racism. That's why I wanted to show you the video clip. Louisiana also fell in the same category. They had the Mardi Gras. The mayor of the Mardi Gras basically said that they were going to do the Mardi Gras regardless of what the government said. The, the, the federal government. Now the mayor of, of Louisiana, who I'm sorry, the mayor of, of um, um, not Baton Rouge, New Orleans. The mayor of New Orleans, where the Mardi Gras is held, the mayor of New Orleans basically said, the federal government should have barred us from hosting the Mardi Gras. They're at blame, even though you wanted to be rebellious and hold the Mardi Gras anyway. Your city probably could use a few days of lockdown. There's probably a lot less crime taking place right now. Um, it, it, it's when you see these the the people that play in the dark, like the WHO, the the, the CCP. They're like cockroaches running for the cabinets when the lights have come on, because now we see that 1.2 million people have the coronavirus today as I'm doing this podcast with 70,000 deaths. If we looked at cases that are closed, that means not all the cases in the world, but those that are closed, they've either died or they're recovered. There's been 336,000 cases that have closed. 336,026 cases to be exact. 266,000 of those have recovered and been discharged from the hospital. That's 79%. That means that 69,000 people or almost 70,000 people have died. That's 21% death ratio right now with cases closed. Now, the question is the next question, the next big question. That's the timeline. So I took you on a timeline from December until today. Try to break it down day by day so that you can understand it. Now we're going to try to get into one of the important questions that you might be asking, where did it come from? I know that it came from China, right? We can all at least agree that it came from China. So let's start there. It came from China. It came from Wuhan. Can we start there? Can we narrow it down and say Wuhan? Can we at least agree on that? I'm not saying that the virus was developed in Wuhan by saying that it came from Wuhan. I'm not saying that it originated in Wuhan. I'm not saying anything other than the first human patient in the world that we know of that had this disease came from Wuhan. Agreed? The official Chinese stance is a two-parter now, right? They, They believe that it came from two different sources. So officially, officially, China has two different official stances on where they believe the, the, the virus came from, the COVID-19 coronavirus. The first, the earliest, the one that everybody has kind of parroted, is that the transmission came from a bat in a meat market 
in Wuhan, most likely from bat soup. The problem with this is that after looking at the first 27 patients that were known to have the disease on January 1st, none of them, none of them had been to said wet market in Wuhan. So if we look at the connection of the first 27 patients and the meat market, we can say that the first patients that we know of, the earliest 27 patients, none of them had any connection with the wet market. So I already, I, from the very beginning, and I shared this in January when we were doing updates on the coronavirus, my feeling is that it probably, and it's not just, you know, I'm trying to be difficult. I'm not being a contrarian. I'm not just trying to make arguments. I'm not trying to create conspiracy theories. Trust me, I believe the easiest answer is probably the most likely. I, I, I don't believe China did this on purpose. I'm going to be telling you why during this entire time. I don't believe that this was a weapon created by the Chinese military to cut down the population of the world. And I'm going to be telling you why here in a minute, but at least let me start here. The first 27 patients, according to the research that I have read, had no contact with the wet market in Wuhan. Ruling out the idea that they got the disease from the wet market in Wuhan, where all of the blame has been heaped upon, and the, 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 the soup that they say that people probably ate that got the disease, that the disease then jumped, from the people that I've talked to, they don't even eat that there. Could not saying they don't. I've been to a lot of meat markets. You see some freaky stuff at meat markets in China. Blood popsicles, maggots, deep fried bumblebees, half born birds, urine and yak tea, everything. I've seen it. I've eaten it. I've drank it. So I know that there's some freaky stuff out there. Bat soup, in Wuhan wet market does not surprise me at all. But the first 27 patients that were looked at said that there was nothing there. There's another theory that the Chinese have started to push, and that is there was a joint military exercise in October of 2019 where the U.S. military participated and that they brought the virus with them to infect the people of China. That one, I don't think so either. There's another theory that this is from a weapons lab in China. I don't really believe that there's evidence of that, but there is a Wuhan Institute of Virology in Wuhan. This is a real place. And we can start there. It's not a military base, and it doesn't have military operations that I know of, but it is a research lab. We know that it's a research lab. This is common information. I'm not sharing with you some conspiracy stuff. This is common information. It's China's first and only virology institute in China. It's a biosafety level four BSL is what they call it. BSL level four laboratory. And they started it there in 2015. Now 
we're going to have to come to agreement that that at least exists. I mean, this is basic Wikipedia stuff, okay? This is, you can go on Wikipedia, you can look at this. There's a, there's a lab that studies virus, the only one in all of China, just happens to be in Wuhan. Now, anytime anyone tries to mention this, oh, well, there's a, there's a lab in Wuhan that studies viruses. You're, you're, there are going to be people that are going to make you look stupid. I'm going to point to an article that's been quoted the most that I know of. It's by Vox.com. And they did a story on Tom Cotton. Tom Cotton is a U.S. senator, and he was the one that sounded the alarm. I remember listening to him doing live interviews in January when I was traveling around the United States. I just arrived in from China, and he was being labeled as a racist, a xenophobe, a, a chicken little. Uh, he was going around trying to tell people, we got to close the borders with China. This is a dangerous virus. We need to act now. He held a hearing in the Senate. And 12 senators showed up. 12. Why only 12? Well, one, they were probably super tired. Have you ever heard of the impeachment that was taking place in January? Yeah, fatigue was all over these senators. Remember, this was the height of Trump's impeachment. So nobody in the U.S. news agencies could get any airtime outside of the impeachment process. Not even a deadly disease like coronavirus. But here's what we know. A group of researchers from Wuhan Institute of Virology published research into the origin of SARS coronavirus of 2003, finding that China's horseshoe bats are natural reservoirs of SARS-like coronaviruses. Researchers from the Wuhan Institute sampled thousands of these horseshoe bats in locations across China, and in their lab, they isolated 300 bat coronaviruses. In 2017, American scientists said, whoa, dude, this is a bad idea. Bad, bad, bad. What China is doing is bad because China does not have the practices of being able to contain a deadly virus. It might get out. Just saying. Just saying. The team engineered, the team at the lab in Wuhan, engineered a hybrid virus combining a, kabat, a, a bat coronavirus with SARS and that had been adapted to grow in mice and mimic the human disease. They tested it. The hybrid virus was able to infect human cells. This is not conspiracy. I just took that from Wikipedia. This is not even hard stuff. Like I'm not digging deep to get this. This is scientific journals that's being posted in common space on Wikipedia so that everybody can know what the viral lab does. In 2017, a team from the Institute announced that coronaviruses found in horseshoe bats at a cave in Yunnan contained all the genetic pieces of the SARS virus. And they hypothesized, and they hypothesized that the director of the human virus originated in, uh, the, uh, sorry, they hypothesized that this originated in uh, for the human virus in, in this cave in Yunnan province. Now, Yunnan, Yunnan province, I, you, you might be listening to this, have no idea where that's at. I used to live in Yunnan province, okay? It's about a thousand miles away directly by air from Hebei province, where Wuhan is. 
over well over 3,000 miles if you try to navigate it by car over the mountains. To give you an idea what that looks like on ground, that's like California to Indiana, for those of you that are in the United States. It's like Germany to Lithuania, for those of you that are in Europe. So this is not close. These bats didn't just migrate you know, over to Hubei and start infecting people in their soup. In December 2019, cases of pneumonia associated with an unknown coronavirus were reported to health authorities in Wuhan. The institute checked its coronavirus collection, their nice little you know, collection that they keep in their jars and their bottles, and they found that the new virus was 96% identical to a sample that they had created in their lab. <laughs> Listen, in 2014, the US government imposed a moratorium on what they called, quote unquote, the gain of function research, meaning stop funding making diseases that don't exist. Because those diseases that don't exist that you create may get out and become real diseases that we have to combat. That's what they were doing in China. And it was noted that China was involved in very risky research. And China should not be involved in risky research because they don't have the policies in place to keep people from doing bad things with dangerous materials. Let me give you an example. Uh, especially as it relates to Yunnan. Just talked about Yunnan. I used to live in Kunming. Kunming had a zoo in the city. It was the city zoo. It was downtown. It was a horrible zoo. My wife would never go there. I took the kids there once. I felt bad about it. Never went back. They had lions and tigers in small little cages that were like two feet across by two feet across. Small little cages that were concrete. Nowhere to run, nowhere to play, nowhere to roam. Nothing to do. No shelter. These cages had no roof. The sun would beat down on them. Chinese tourists would come and throw trash at them, poke sticks at them. Bears, deer. Every animal that you can think of that was at the zoo, they were just in the most horrible conditions. I took my kids to go watch a, uh, a show, which was like, you know, the whole bears on roller skates, which was real. They had bears on roller skates. They beat the animals the whole time. They were just the whole time being yelled at, whipped. I left. My wife refused to go. At the same time, the same year that we were living there, which was in the early 2000s, Kunming built a brand new zoo just outside of the city, very close to a place where we were living, which was called Beichen Shaochu. And so we got an annual membership to Beichen Shaochu, or to the, to the uh, other zoo. And we began, I took my kids there almost every week. It was one of the cool things to do while we were living in Kunming. And while they were building the new zoo, they lost all interest in the old zoo. But they hadn't closed the old zoo. They still kept it open. And they were trying to balance the same people working at both zoos, but they didn't have the policies in place to make sure that there was safety for people and the animals. Twice. Before the zoo even opened, twice, two times, the animals got out. Can you imagine? In an urban city like Kunming that has you know hundreds of thousands of people, Tigers, lions, bears, roaming the streets. Chinese had to go around finding them, chasing them, capturing them, and bringing them back to the zoo. Security at the zoo was so relaxed 
that I remember walking on a bridge over the hyena area. And my youngest son was in a backpack. I had him on my back. It was a backpack that I carried him in. And he was watching the animals from my back. And he thought, you know, he was like a year old. He thought it would be fun to take off his shoe and throw it into the hyena cage. So he did. Took off his shoe and threw it into the hyena cage. Well, we didn't have any other shoes for him. So I put him down. I looked around. I didn't see anybody. I was on a bridge. I leaped over the gates of the bridge on down to the ground, grabbed the shoe. And as I grabbed the shoe, the hyenas saw me in their cage and came running for me. At this time, I realized that the bridge was actually higher than I thought. So I didn't know. I had to like back up and get a running start in order to run, grab the bottom of the bridge. And I mean, the hyenas were, you know, running right up on me. And then I climb up the fence and I jump back over. It could have been a much different scene for my boys. But there was nobody there at any time that saw me jump into that cage with the hyenas to get my son's shoe. Think of these people in charge of a deadly virus that can infect the entire world. That's why the U.S. Was, scientists were issuing warnings saying that this should not happen. Vox said that there are no indications that the virus came from this lab. The Vox.com reported this. The genetic evidence of the information, according to three esteemed infectious disease researchers writing in the New England Journal of Medicine, implicates a bat origin virus infecting unidentified animal species sold in China live animal markets. I don't disagree with that. But they're saying that this means it didn't happen in a lab. Did you not read what the lab was studying? They were studying bats. Bats with SARS. The exact same thing that people all of a sudden in the same city of the only research lab in all of China is now coincidentally getting infected with the same virus that the scientists are researching? <laughs> Come on. Their argument in Vox, you can go to Vox.com and look at this. Their argument pointing out big, bold letters. The Wuhan lab has the same safety protocols of top safety labs in the U.S. and Europe. No, they don't. Vox, come on. Come on. Of course, they have to quote somebody that's well-known. So they go to Jim Deluc, who runs the Galveston Bi Biocontainment Lab and has a lot of experience in Wuhan. He and his colleagues have worked for six years with the Chinese team there. You don't say. I bet they would probably like to continue working there. So that's why they don't say anything that might offend them. But let's go ahead and see what they have to say anyway. He says, Jim, good old Jim says this. I can tell you, that la the lab in Wuhan is equivalent to any lab here in the U.S. and Europe, he said. For instance, many labs now use radio waves to track the inventory vials containing dangerous path pathogens. I don't think there's any likelihood that the lab is less prepared in terms of protocol and capability than any lab in the U.S. It's really good. Though, <laughs> though, he said, Nothing's perfect. <laughs> That's a direct quote from Vox March 12th. 
The writer is Eliza Barkley, if you want to read it. She's the writer for their health and science section. The emergence of, and this is, this is from, this is a direct quote. I'm going to read a direct quote from this March 12th article from Vox that's been quoted so much by other news agencies. The emergence of the virus in the same city of China. Sorry, I'm going to start that again. The emergence of the virus in the same city as China's only level four safety biolab, it turns out is pure coincidence. That's a quote. Richard Arbright, a Rutgers microbiologist and biosafety expert, would disagree with Jim DeLuke that things are not on the up and up in China, as Jim said. Richard said, it could have occurred at a laboratory accident with, for example, an accidental infection of a laboratory worker. He noted that bat coronaviruses were studied in Wuhan at the biosafety lab, which provides only minimal protection. Albright then goes on to describe a December video from Wuhan CDC that shows staffers collecting bat coronaviruses with inadequate protective equipment and unsafe operational practices. Separately, he said, I reviewed two Chinese articles from 2017-2019 describing the heroics of Wuhan CDC researcher, the bat lady, the one I told you about, yeah, this is her, who while capturing bats in a cave forgot to take protective measures. So the bat urine dripped from the top, uh, it dripped on top of her head like raindrops. <laughs> yeah, safety measure in China would probably just bring an umbrella. So there are no bats carrying SARS-like viruses near Wuhan. They're from Yunnan. But we do know what is near Wuhan, which are bats with the SARS virus in a research lab. Now, I don't believe that China, this is my personal belief, I don't believe that China maliciously tried to use this as a weapon. I just believe that they were doing research on SARS-like viruses and they didn't have the protocol in place to keep people safe and it got out. How did it get out? Who was the first person infected? Well, here's a theory. I'm going to tell you. You may not have heard this before. Here's a little nugget. Now, this is not like I'm the first one to share this, but here's a nugget that you might not have heard unless you dug a little deeper. There's a researcher, private researcher, lived in China for a while, speaks fluent Chinese, lived in Wuhan for more than 10 years. His name is Matthew Tai. He put out a video and put issued some of his findings, which I found to be fascinating. He translated the Wuhan government job opening page that shows that the Wuhan Institute of Virology in China indeed posted a job opening on November 18th, 2019, just before the outbreak, asking for scientists to come research the relationship between coronaviruses and bats. This probably means they were low on staff and low on people that knew what they were doing. Incompetent individuals in charge of dangerous viruses at a research lab, eh, maybe not such a good idea. On December 24th, Ty points out to another job, December 24th. Now people are actually infected with the disease at this point. 
We're only a couple days away from the doctors actually sharing about this on social media. On December 24th, Ty points to another job opening that was published publicly on the Wuhan government website that says, and I'm going to quote from Matthew Ty's translation, quote, we've discovered a new and terrible virus and would like to recruit people to come and deal with it, end quote. (laughs) I'm going to read that again because that is a job opening for alpha males if I've ever read one. We've discovered a new and terrible virus and would like to recruit people to come and deal with it. Matthew Tai identifies patient zero, the first person infected, as Huang Yanling, a researcher at the Wuhan laboratory. On February 16th, the government issued a statement, and it can be found, I can send it to you if you want, on www.whiov.ac.cn slash T-Z-G-G, and then a bunch of other stuff. But it's a Chinese government website. They specifically said Huan Yanlin did not work at the lab. But she did. There's research that shows otherwise, but the government had to issue a statement. And it says this, and I'm going to read Directly. I've been doing that a lot because I want you to know that I'm reading directly from these quotes so that you know that this is just not me putting my own, you know, Adam Schiff spin on this. Quote, unreliable information has been circulating on the internet recently saying that our graduate, Huan Yanling, is the so-called patient zero who was the first to be infected with the new coronavirus. After verification, our firm solemnly declares as follows. Huang Yanling graduated from our institute with a master's degree in 2015. During the course of his st- her studies, he studied the functions of bacteriophage, lyos, I can't say that correctly, and the broad spectrum of antibacterial activity. After graduation, went out and working and living in other provinces, infection, no infection, and in good health. Huang Yanling is reported to have worked at the laboratory up until 2019, and is reportedly now dead from the virus. At this critical moment in the fight against the epidemic, related rumors greatly interfered with the scientific research of our institute, said the lab. We reserve the right to pursue legal responsibility according to the law. The laboratory writes, We sincerely thank all circles of society for their care, support, and help. Listen, accidents happen. They happen at laboratories. Laboratories are not special. Can you imagine if I had a laboratory? (laughs) I'd be falling all over the place, tripping, tipping bottles, breaking jars, spreading diseases everywhere, coughing, sneezing, spitting. Trust me, I'd be a walking, talking nightmare. I'd look like Linus. Remember Linus from, from um, Charlie Brown walked around with his blanket with dirt fuzz kind of going all over? That, that would be me. I'd be walking around. My clothes would be radioactive. I'd be going into the most crowded public places, spreading disease. You do not want me. I am not a methodical individual. You know, how in the world I became a pilot, I have no clue. How in the world I became a sniper, which is methodical. You have to take a calculator. No kidding. I'd use a calculator when I took some of my shots. 
How I did that, I have no clue, but I can tell you this, I could not in a million years run a bio lab. Accidents happen with back to Jerusalem all the time. We make all kinds of mistakes. But solving the mystery of how the COVID-19 began isn't a blame game. It's a chance for us to learn how to prevent it from happening again. Listen, do you remember? I remember in the 1980s when I was a kid, right? I was in elementary school. I remember when the Challenger space shuttle blew up. Immediately, an investigation was launched and a reconstruction piece by piece of the shuttle took place to find out what mistakes were made. Why? So we could know who to nail to a stake, who could put, we could put on a cross, who we could burn at the, at the stake? No. So that we could take action to ensure and have safety measures for the future that it would not happen again. That hasn't happened. That has not happened with the coronavirus because people are not being honest. But if you want to know where I think that it originated from, I say, without a shadow of a doubt, it came from the research lab in Wuhan. There are no coincidences. The easiest answer is probably the most correct. So the next one, the one that I get the most from all around the world, how many people have died? Well, China is reporting, we'll just start there, right? Let's just start with what China is officially reporting. China is officially reporting as of today, April 6, 82,000 people have the virus and 3,000 deaths. First, let it be said that China can not be trusted. Their numbers are absolute crap to me. They lie about everything. And they lie about everything because why not? I mean, they're atheists, so they're not going to go to hell for lying. They're communists, so you can't vote them out of office. There's absolutely no downside for them lying. Well, except for a lot of people around the world dying, but they believe that that's actually not a bad thing anyway. So what's the downside? There is no downside. So you cannot trust the numbers coming out of China at all. Zero. Zilch. Nada. Before, like I said, an independent research in the early days reported that China's numbers were seven and a half times too small. That means that if China's reporting that uh, the, their numbers, when they were reporting 75,000, their numbers were closer to 75,000, right? I shared that at the beginning of February, the end of January. Well, if we carry that over today, if that just continues on to where we're at now and they're still lying at the same rate, which I believe they are, and the same expert said before that it's about seven and a half times uh, off, I would say if we look at that, what China's reporting today, they're looking at probably 615,000 people that are infected with the disease. And I would say that's probably pretty close. Pretty close. I still think it's probably higher and I'm going to tell you why. First, China has a pretty good idea today. They may not have, you know, we can excuse early January, even early February, because China just didn't know. I mean, how do you really know how many people are infected or how many people are dying from the infection? How do you know people are not dying from normal diseases anyway? I mean, those that had cancer that died that also caught the coronavirus because their immune system was weakened at the time, would they not then become a coronavirus death, even though that they would have died anyway from cancer, those that had uh, heart problems, those that had immune deficiency problems, 
that you know could have died if not at the same time at least very close to the same time anyway they would have been calculated as someone who died that year but now because they died during the time of the coronavirus they're calculated as a coronavirus death you know nobody has the exact numbers so it's not just china we can't blame china for not having all the exact numbers because it's a very tough thing to nail down however china today is a different animal because it has a completely different method of tracking those that are sick that are not. They've been able to do it with a phone app which is attached to your identity that everybody must have. Everybody this year, 2020, it just happened that this year, China made a requirement that everybody must have a digital ID. And with that digital ID, which is associated with your name and your number, which is like a social security number if you're from the United States or your personal number if you're from Europe, there, if you your number is associated with your ID, digital ID, and your digital ID is on your phone, and the update of your status is on your phone, and your status is represented by a QR code that shows up on your phone. This is especially true in Wuhan. I've been talking with our friends in other parts of China. It hasn't spread all over China, but it is true in Wuhan that on your phone, you have three different statuses that you have on a QR card, a QR picture. It's either red, green, or yellow. Red, if you are infected with the coronavirus. Yellow, if you're thought to be exposed to the coronavirus. And green, if you're healthy and good to go. If you are walking out on the street, a police can stop you at any time and scan your phone, your QR code. If your QR code is red or yellow, you're going to be in trouble. You have to have green to be outside of your house. So with that data that they have now attached to the digital ID, China has a pretty good idea how many people now are infected or possibly infected with the coronavirus. So now there's no reason for any lies. On March 25th, I put out a pretty alarming report. You can go and find it on backtojerusalem.com now. We reported that 21 million people in China went missing, kind of. You see, according to a Beijing report that was released on March 20th, 2020, for the very first time ever in the history of China since phones became available to regular Chinese people, the number of Chinese cell phone users dropped. Since Chinese have been able to have phones in the 1980s, the number of people registering to have phones has gone up every single month without fail. Once mobile phones became available inside of China early 2000s, the mobile phone subscribers have gone up every single month without fail. There's never been a month where there's been a drop until March, where the report came out for December, January, February. The, num the numbers for those three, mar those three months, for all of the um, China Chinese telecom companies combined, was a drop and it wasn't just a little drop it was a major drop it was a through the floor drop 21 million people drop two times the population of sweden where i'm currently at now type of drop now we have not seen that happen these mobile phone accounts were gone vanished now, it can be assumed that the deaths are due to the coronavirus, and that has contributed to a high number of account closings. But according to the official reports from China, there's only been 3,300 people die from the coronavirus. So if only 3,300 people have died, 
Why are there 21 million cell phone accounts that have been closed in the last three months? It's very odd. Well, where did you get that information? <clears throat> I'm glad you asked. There have been some people that have challenged us on these numbers and we've been able to point them directly to the government website and those numbers are still there today in all their shining glory on the government website. I don't know how long they'll be there. They may be off by the time you get this podcast. Who knows? But it, the Chinese Ministry of Industry Information Technology, MIIT, announced on March 19th, you can do a search on this, MIIT, March 19th, number of uh, phone users in each province compared with the previous announcement, which was released December 18th, both in Chinese language, but you can use Google Translate uh, to, to give you the information. December 18th, 2019, and those were reported for November. So it was from December was when the last report was until March, but it covered the data from November to February. So you had December, January, February, in that time frame. And we saw a huge drop in both cell phone and landline users. That's important for what I'm about to say. Because what we see is there's three main reasons why people would drop their accounts. So it's not just because people have died, right? Because we're trying to figure out how many people have actually died in Wuhan from the coronavirus because we don't believe the Chinese numbers. And you shouldn't. You should not. There's no reason for you to believe the Chinese numbers. So, when we look at landline users, or when we look at the, the number of cell phone users, the reason that we have a drop is one, because most people in China own more than one mobile phone. When they lose their job, many of them got rid of phones that they don't need anymore, so they don't have to make that extra payment. The second reason is many people that are Christians, like my friends, have gotten rid of their phones altogether because they don't want to be tracked all the activity that they're doing. So they've gotten rid of their phones completely. So that also accounts for the numbers. But 21 million? And that also would not account for landlines. The landlines dropped considerably. The number of landline users decreased from 190 million to 100, 190 million to 189 million. A drop of 840,000 or almost a million users. Why would there be a drop in the landline? Well, there's a lot of people that believe that the number of individuals who have been, that have died and their bodies been burned up to get rid of the evidence, is there's a lot, there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there. We've been reporting about this for a long time, right? There's been information about urns that have been delivered. According to a Daily Mail article that just came out yesterday from the time that I'm doing this podcast, the British government is absolutely furious with China, accusing it of underreporting its numbers of cases. The Daily Mail, which cited unnamed sources, said scientists told UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson before he was sick that China could have downplayed its numbers of confirmed coronaviruses by a factor of 15 to 40 times. That's a lot greater than the seven and a half times that I just told you. The CIA right now is doing their own investigation because they're smart. They don't believe the numbers coming out of China, so they're going to do their own research. 
According to the RFA, some city residents said on social media that Wuhan's funeral homes were handing out 3,500 urns every day for people to put their family's ashes in. The reporting, which could not be independently verified uh, by Insider, which is the newspaper that reported this, said that the current rate of about 42,000 urns would be given out between March 23rd and April 5th when a traditional grave tending festival begins, which is the cleaning of the graves. A resident who identified himself by the surname Mao also alleged the official death toll was very wrong. One Chinese dissident came out in early February and he started to talk about the burning of the ashes of those that have died to get rid of the evidence. He talked about incinerators that were being brought in. The person that shared about this was a Chinese uh, billionaire businessman who escaped from China, whose name is Guo Wenghui. Guo Wenghui was uh, one of the 73rd richest people in all of China. And you don't get there by not having a few contacts in the Communist Party. Guo was wealthy, but I mean, not as wealthy as President Xi. President Xi, who's currently worth $1.5 to $2 billion, and his daughter's over a billion, and his mother's over a billion. That's how he hides a lot of his money, is he shares it with the family and hides it through them. These guys, these guys in the CCP, they, they, they make their out like gangbusters. But after 2012, President Xi began this campaign to get rid of all of his enemies in an anti-corruption campaign. That constituted basically, what's anti-corruption? Uh, if you don't agree with me, President Xi's stance was basically, if you don't stand behind me as a loyalist, my anti-corruption campaign is going to find corruption on you and you will be charged, you will be put in jail, and you will be executed. As almost all of President Xi's enemies were executed. That's why now he can be president for life because he kept all those that were loyal, that liked their nice cushy life, they liked their comfort, and they were able to continue supporting him and they all voted in the communist party to give him unlimited time to rule as the president. So Guo didn't support Xi. So he had to flee to the United States in 2014. And he learned afterwards that he had allegations that were brought against him for bribery, kidnapping, money, laundering, fraud, and rape. Only half of those were probably correct. But this is him coming out and sharing with people around the world about what he believes the real numbers are. Now, he speaks with a strong Chinese accent, so you may not be able to understand everything, but try to listen carefully because his story, what he shares, I believe carries a lot of legitimacy. Listen. In Wuhan, totally, it's the 49, the 24 hours work, they burn the dice of the body, so he says that there are 49 um, places that are incinerating bodies every day uh, in Wuhan. They're working 24 hours a day to burn as many bodies as possible. Every day is 1,200. So he believes that they are burning 1,200 bodies per day in Wuhan. Because, you know, more than 17 days. Only Wuhan. But now they are is in the megapolis. It's according to all the China, it's 250 million people. How many people really get the you know confirmed case? And you know this 
outbreak. But you know, this is the outbreak in the half of China, 200 million people. So I get the inside information is the truth is 1.5 million people is, you know, is the not only emotion, is the confirmed case. And the deaths of the people now is the burned body, more than 50,000, not 30,000 uh, to the now. So now he's saying that at that time, which was in February, that at least 50,000 bodies had been burned. I don't disbelieve his numbers because we can verify it through the urns. We can verify it through his testimony. We can verify it through the cell phones that numbers of cell phones that have dropped. We can verify it through the intelligence communities of the CIA and Scotland Yard. So what is the number? Well, I, can, I cannot tell you for sure. No one can tell you for sure. Even when we tell you for sure, it's not for sure. But I do believe, personally, if we look at the numbers that we were looking at, that the, the, the panels were observing of China going seven and a half times lower, I believe that the numbers are over 100,000 people. Now, I don't believe that it would be in the millions. Why? Because I told you at the very beginning that about 7 million people up and left Wuhan. We still have our contacts inside of Wuhan. If there were bodies dropping around Wuhan, we would have heard about it from our Chinese church friends. There's a certain number of people that you can hide and there's a certain number of people that you cannot. So I don't believe that the number of people that have died inside of Wuhan at the epicenter were in the millions. I don't believe that, uh, I, because, all right, because Wuhan right now has about 10, 15 million people, right? If you have about half of those that leave, and that's if you count the, if you calculate also the suburbs, the suburban area of Wuhan. So you have about 10 to 15 million people. You have half the people that left Wuhan. So if, if you, you got the people that are left, 7 million, 8 million, and then you look around China for all those people that dropped their cell phone coverage, if you say, okay, only 10% of that population that dropped their cell phone coverage was from death, uh, we're still looking at over 2 million people that could have died. So I don't believe it's at 10% of the number of people that dropped their accounts. I, I think that our guys on the ground would have a feel for that and they don't. They just haven't confirmed those numbers. So I do not believe that the number is over a million. I believe in the information that I have on the ground at this time. But I also do not believe that the number of people that have died is only 3,000. I believe that it's much, much higher than that. And I believe that the number of people that are infected has been in the hundreds of thousands. So that is what I can give you as a timeline as an origin of the disease and how many people have died from the disease and currently have the disease. I pray that if you made it through this marathon of almost a two hour podcast that you got your money's worth, which is free. <laughs> and if you made it to the end of this podcast, you deserve a medal. God bless you. And thank you so much for downloading this podcast. Please share it with your friends. Tell other people about it and also join us every day as we go into prayer together around the world, 
chasing revival and the history of revival to know what we need to do in our lifetime to complete the Great Commission between China and Jerusalem. Thank you so much for downloading this podcast. Again, my name is Eugene Bach with Back to Jerusalem coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden. God bless you.